Hello and welcome to the Chinny Vision podcast. Today's guest is Dudley from Yesterseen. Hi, Dudley. Hello there. First, let's get the business end out of the way. What is Yesterseen? It is a YouTube channel whose primary show is about taking a different magazine from the golden era every month, playing a couple of the games in there to see whether the magazine was right. And then if you dig through any magazine from that era, you'll find something interesting, like a game everyone has forgotten or how we used to have to import games or, for that matter, cheat codes. Because you don't get those anymore either, because they realised they could monetize them with premium rate phone lines. <laughs> so it's, it's an excellent YouTube channel. How long have you been running it for? Just coming up to four years. And as we record this, the 50th episode goes out this week of that particular series, and that runs monthly. That's cool. And so we're talking about your computer magazine history in a bit, but where did your computing history start? The first one was a Spectrum Plus 2 in 1986, which is when I was six. That was a Christmas, and it was the, the classic Dixon's pack with uh, what Snorkers insists on referring to as the Power 6. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the Oh Mummy, the Treasure Island, the Disco Dan, Golf, Punchy, something I've forgotten. And we also got a couple of other games with it. So actually, the first game I ever played was Metabolis by Gremlin, which is a weird maze escape adventure thing that makes absolutely no sense, if I'm honest, but that's not atypical for your average 8-bit game. So you got on the roller coaster at the first Christmas of the Amstrad Spectrums with Alan's uh, sack of cack, for a (laughs) want of a better word. Essentially so, a lot of those were ex-Amsoft, weren't they? Yeah. yeah, so actually, worse, actually, because the Oh Mummy is actually considerably worse than the Amstrad version. Yeah, they, that's the one they keep remaking from that, and it's by no means the best game of the six. The best game of the six, and I'll darn this hill immediately, is Disco Dan. <laughs> but yeah, so actually, weirdly, for a Brit of shall I say our ages, the Rubber Key Spectrum is not especially nostalgic to me because the the thing I have and still have is grey and has a data corder taped to the side. I've had a rubber key spectrum. I still do, but it's yeah, it, it, it's not the one I remember. So that whole era kind of escapes me. The Grey Plus Two is an incredibly popular computer, um, and it was that Amstrad suddenly behind it with all their marketing. Mm. And I know we went on to the black models later, you know, eighty seven, eighty eight. But that initial kind of Grey Plus Two, it's, it was like let's let's pile them up in dicks and chuck them out cheap as a complete. And I'll use the Amstrad phrase, computer outfit. <laughs> you you could argue it's it's kind of the one to have because it's the last one with really decent compatibility, of course. Yeah. They started futzing about with stuff with the plus two A. That's it. it. It is the it, it was it was all done in in a couple of weeks just to put it in that grey box with a data corder on it, just sort out anything they needed to sort out. But essentially it's it's a Sinclair 128 in a different box. Um, so how long did you have that for? Well, as a primary computer, um, yeah. at least three years, but as my primary computer, right up until I got an Amiga. But as a family, we got our first PC in 89. So that took over on a, a lot of stuff. So what games were you having on the Spectrum? On on the Spectrum, so we played some dizzies, I'm absolutely sure. Checkered Flag was my first driving game, and obviously Ooh. I'm a very much a driving game person. 
so that one I remember, although that's not technically a racing game because to be a racing game, you'd have to be racing someone. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, one, of, one of my things I got about driving versus racing games, but we don't need to go into that. But Checkered Flag isn't a racing game as such. But it's it an old was... game to have in 1986. Yeah. I, I, we had uh, a few of the, those things that I assume we picked up from car boot sales or cheap. It's before I can really remember. I guess it was the obvious thing to do because the weird thing is I didn't have any Spectrum magazines back in the day. I, I'm not sure I had much agency over what I got. Um, uh, magazines for me comes in with the Amiga. So when I talk about old Spectrum magazines, my nostalgia is for the games, not the magazines, which is kind of the opposite for anything newer than the very early 90s. But when you're that age, you're being given stuff. You know, I wouldn't have been choosing to buy Amstrad computer user, but it, that is what came into the house. So that, that's what you were consuming and reading about your new games in, even though it was a terrible magazine for for gaming. Although great if you're researching old software houses, because they usually have a software house feature every month. But there were no publications at that time coming into the house? or No, not as far as I remember, anyway. Uh, and we tended to keep stuff like that, because I, I still have a few car magazines from roughly that era. So I imagine I would have kept at least some of them, um, but nothing and nothing I remember. So um, the PC was your parents, presumably. It was, and we did we did play games on it. This is where I got into adventure games. We'd played a couple of the text ones on Spectrum, but then you get the PC in 89 and then you discover Sierra Online. And horribly unfair as all those games are, uh, with my family, we played through everything with a Sierra badge on from... 89 onwards so the kings the space the leisure suit larry's even which as a kid feels like an interesting choice now but i didn't notice at the time but yeah all of all of those and that that was kind of our family's thing and then somewhere around monkey islands also lucasarts around 93 the family pc got upgraded and uh, strike commander the the wing commander spin-off that was much much less interesting was <laughs> was what we had um because I remember the speech pack for that, and then latterly uh, TFX. If my gaming history is kind of threefold in when I had choice, it's kind of driving games, point-and-click adventures, microprose. You know, Railroad Tycoon, Civilization, Gunship, F-15, Strike Eagle, F-19, Stealth Fighter, Pirates, all of the, all of those ones. Because, the, I mean, the PC, I, my mate Chris, his dad had a Tandy PC, and the thing he wanted to play on it was the was flight sim because you couldn't do that on your on your Amstrad or not hmm. to any kind of degree, <laughs> and it seemed like this big imposing thing that was big. It had fans in it. It made whirring oh, yeah. noises. It was incredibly scary and expensive. Yeah, our first one was an Epson PCAX, which was a 10 megahertz 286 monstrosity, and it was a monstrosity. It was bigger than most of the desktops that you'd have now, even if you've got a gigantic graphics card slammed into it. It had a pair of five and a quarter inch disk drives, 40 meg hard drive. The 14 inch monitor on top was dwarfed by it. And I seem to remember that uh, the actual retail price of that, uh, my dad worked in things that allowed us to get these things, shall I say. But the actual retail price of that was something like two and a half, three thousand then. So frightening now compared to the Spectrum that was what, 120 that Dixon's yeah. back in 86 probably? So you're doing the gaming on the PC, and what are your friends playing? What do you kind of, when you go to their house, what are you playing on their computers? What are they coming to your house to play? 
I don't remember many people having a computer at primary school. I, I was thinking about this today. Obviously, later on in secondary school, they do. But at primary school, the one guy I remember also had a Spectrum. And so maybe some of my older stuff came from him. I remember playing Horizons on his, weirdly, vividly. I don't know why, because it's not that interesting. But we definitely spent a lot of time doing that. But that's really the only other computer I remember anyone having, which is weird. There must have been more. Maybe we just didn't talk about it at school. School, of course, they were just, you know, the classic BBC micro on a trolley affair, because this is the late 80s. So I have survived Granny's Garden. <laughs> you know, that, that's an achievement in itself. But yeah, the only other one I remember is So in period, I never played a CPC or a C64. I didn't encounter a C- C- CPC until 92, 93, when a guy I met at secondary school, I still know, had, had one then. And actually, it's the only CPC I've ever owned is actually his. He, he gave it to me at one stage. So yeah, it's weird how little I actually encountered the 8-bit computers. So you said you moved on to the Amiga. So what means you want that? I have a feeling I'd heard from somewhere. And at this point, the there's no Sinclair upgrade route. And there isn't really an Amstrad upgrade route. So it might just have been the default that I'd heard of the C64. But I suspect it was that people had started talking about the Amiga because we're talking spring 92 here. So the, the 500 is well established. Mine was actually secondhand. I got it for passing the 12 plus exam, which dates me in both location and, well, frankly, social class for the time, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> It was uh, from a kid down the road, was selling his A500, uh, one meg upgraded, and, you know, a bunch of the stuff he'd collected over the three years or so, he'd have the thing. Uh, I don't know why he was selling it. I don't know if he was replacing it. But I got that off him, age just coming up to 12. And that was me on computers right up until uni, other than, obviously, the, the household still had PCs throughout all this that's not a bad way to go, actually get a whole complete computer set up mm. as your one thing. So what did you have in there? I remember when I got it, Beach Volley was in there, Spitting Image was in there, Combo Racer, the Gremlin game. The first, this is exactly when I bought the first magazine I bought, which was a, a copy of the One Amiga. I think it's dated July 92, but it's got Lotus 3 on the cover. And I absolutely remembered that's why I bought it. And in the weird accidents of these things, I buy this one magazine in 92 because it has it has a car on the cover. And then I bought the one right through my entire Amiga owning life. I barely looked at the others. If Amiga Power put a car on, on, the, on the cover that month, maybe we'd be having a different discussion about that. And in hindsight, I'm not sure I can defend the one as being the best of those magazines. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was where I started. And that cover disc had Red Zone on it. It's actually a really good bike game. Probably needed more than an A500 to push it along. But coming from a Spectrum and PC, the Red Zone used mouse to do an analog control. And that's kind of mind-blowing age 12 (laughs) that that is a thing. And we're still a year or two from no second prize, which kind of refined that as a concept. Yeah, and it's a a big jump up. And obviously, Mm. it was slim pickings on the Spectrum come 1992 so you're you're jumping across and seeing all this stuff i assume well usually when people say they got uh mega games from from someone else there will be a mix of games in there some of them are boxed retail shall we say and some of them Mm -hmm. in a a loose uh in a disc box what kind of proportions did you have there from from the original collection i had mostly boxed um 
but definitely some parody stuff in there. Weirdly, and I don't know if this is a grammar school thing or whatever, we didn't have much of an Amiga piracy scene, even though we had a few Amiga owners. There was the odd couple. I definitely had a, a dodgy Lotus 3 at one stage, for instance. But most of my stuff was picked up from Special Reserve, actually, the sort of membership club shop place that existed for a while. So whatever they would have cheap would be interesting. So I was probably generally accepting that most of what I read about in magazines is something I'd be worrying about six months later um, when they start start to become cheaper. Other than the odd one, I remember going to the Future Entertainment show and picking up a few things there, for instance. That's how I got Pinball Fantasies, which still play. That's one of the ones I, I forgot to ever stop playing. But mostly I had legit stuff in my main Amiga days because we didn't really have a scene otherwise. But it was firmly on the budget end. Um, you know, my copy of Lotus was in the GBH box and so forth and so forth. I became intimately familiar with the Kicks logo. Um, it was a good uh, way to acquire games that are not that old. No, it was some like six to nine months that they would appear on there. And you can only play so much, especially as though in those times you'd be in the situation where if you got a decent demo on a demo disc, you were probably quite happy for most of the month, to be yeah. honest. Especially as on the side, we were probably working through something LucasArts or Sierra on the PC as well. Actually, towards towards the end this time, maybe 93, 94 is when I started getting more consoles. So I did have other outlets. Yeah, the Amiga was the last computer until I just got on a constantly upgrading PC bandwagon that continues to this day. So, I mean, what console were you looking at? The first one I played is a Master System. And for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm the local Master System obsessive now. But as a child, I didn't have one until really late. Um, I actually, my first console of my own was a SNES, which I picked up in Special Reserve because I remember this very vividly. It was a Mario All-Stars pack. And I remember my dad making the mistake of saying, you can choose one more game to have with it. I think I kept in there for about three hours. Because <laughs> that's a difficult decision when you don't get that many games, right? And without, you know, an internet, you're, you, you are forensically examining an entire range of games there. Luckily, what I settled on that day was Super Mario Kart, so I, I won that. But I definitely remember looking at some much worse games because I've played most of them since. <laughs> you can have any game, right? I'll have Street Fighter 2 at 75. <laughs> <laughs> I think this being sort of mid-late 93, at least by that point, you'd probably have got a better deal on Street Fighter 2. I don't think I had street fighter 2 at any time during my first snes i wasn't a massive beat-em-up person anyway but yeah i think that one sort of passed me by my mate at school had it he was in the build up to christmas 92 he just wouldn't shut up about street fighter 2 in fact another kid shouted hi dukin uh, launched himself in the air to kick a locker door shut but kicked it the wrong way and it, it flew off <laughs> so that's how street fighter 2 was infiltrating the the school at that time and everyone wanting a snes and street fighter 2 my school wasn't very console. It was all Amiga owners and, and one kid with an ST. Always one. There's always one kid with an <laughs> ST. He was well into the ST, and actually I, I played a lot of his stuff at his house. So I actually played a lot more ST than you might think. He, he was into the ST enough that he ran a PD library. There are actually adverts in some of the later ST formats for him, Blimey. which is you know quite nice to see when I look back through those magazines, actually, because good times. If you ever have a late era ST format, look out for an ad for a Chaos PD, because that was oh. my mate. Obviously, he had a lot of stuff because obviously he bought from other PD libraries to expand his. That's how PD libraries worked. Yeah, we played just about everything. We we messed about with shoot 'em up construction kit a lot. 
in a sort of pre-internet, you can release games thing, he actually could. So his PD library carried a, a big range of games that he'd written. Well, I say he'd written, it's Susan Up Construction Kit. It plays yeah. PD libraries at the time. But, you know, <laughs> he could actually release them to the public. And, you know, he sold a few because, of course, he put them front and centre on the adverts because he's not an idiot. <laughs> what um, magazines are coming into school? Again, the one I saw bits of Amiga Power. We never really have many Amiga Action readers. There was a little bit of Amiga format because I was still kidding myself that I would program on Amiga at this time because... One of my memories of the Spectrum is um, I definitely programmed something within the week after Christmas because I was I, understanding as much as you do as a kid. Of course, I put copyright dates on things because that's what grown-ups did. And there <laughs> is definitely an 86 or two in there, which puts it in the first week of owning a Spectrum I was programming, which is how like literally everyone you will ever talk to on this podcast, I'm in IT. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on the Amiga, I had Amos and Never got massively into it. I think the programming I was doing by that point was more Q-basic on the PC, but that led to me buying a bit of Amiga format and CU Amiga before you got to about 94, when the serious magazines assumed that you had, you know, a massively upgraded Amiga with a CD drive and a hard drive, and because their readers did. The only Amiga I ever owned in period was a 500, and all it had was the, the one meg expansion. I never put anything else on the thing. ST format, admittedly, it only lasted till 96, but they never seemed to have that problem. If you had a, a 1 meg STFM or even an STE, you were well covered, probably because of how the Falcon cratered. Despite being a format magazine, that felt like you could use a normal ST up to the end, whereas Amiga format just walked into the distance and started cover mounting CDs, which were scary things at the time. There's not that upgrade culture on the ST scene, so you don't get, oh, I've upgraded my processor, I've got silly amounts of RAM and all this other stuff. A lot of the people using it for music and just kept it as it was in, mm. you know, they bought it in 87, 88. I think Norman Cook, uh, Fatboy Slim, still has, I think he says he's got a stock of STs so that he can, if one breaks, he can just pull out another and use that because all his stuff, his old tracks, that's how you get at that stuff. I, I would gently mock him, but I know how many master systems I now own, so I'm not going to throw a stone at that particular glass wall. <laughs> so you, you had the snares. Presumably you slowly collected games on that, despite the huge price compared to all the Spectrum and, and Amiga. And again, via the same method of special reserve, which is basically my childhood. I'm extremely yeah. thankful to them. But as soon as things started reaching 15, 20 quid there, I was doing a paper round by this point. And, a, you know, for a birthday, you could definitely get a couple of 15 quid games. So I amassed a few. I had Sensible Soccer. Um, I think we bought Starwing at the time. I actually sold and bought several consoles. So I got rid of at least one SNES in this period. It's all a bit fuzzy because it's a long time ago. And then definitely bought a cheap Mega Drive from Toys R Us, which I collected a few things for. Had the first two Sonics, Road Rash 2, Micro Machines 2, uh, with the fancy four-player J-Cart. These are all things I bought again recently to make sure I have them. But I actually swapped that Mega Drive for my first Master System because it was a, I think it was, a, I swapped it and maybe two games I had at that time for a Master System with 15 or so. And that's basically how I started down that road. And to fill in the people who won't know, I now, as of this year, have a complete UK Master System collection and several of the consoles. So I've no idea what I'm going to do next. It's taken that long to get there. 
but it has meant the extreme advantage that some of the games I bought then from newspaper classifieds or even a bit later from GameStation are things that I bought for no money that now go for too much money. I can occasionally annoy people by getting one off the shelf and taking a photo of it with the like GameStation 199 buy one get one free sticker on for some of the really quite rare ones. Um, but we all did that, didn't we? You know, things we picked up back then, we picked up for a pound or whatever. And some of those things, but not all, some of those things turn out to be the ones that had a short run or didn't sell well or are a weird version that just happened to be the one you picked up and suddenly it's 400 quid on eBay and no. Um, <laughs> the story I was telling on this one is the same friend that had the CPC actually sold me his GX4000 and he sold me it for one pound with four carts, and I still have it, and it still works. But the best part, best part of that story is that one pounds he sold it to me to represented a profit. He paid one Mars bar. He made a profit selling me a GX4000 for a quid, and you wouldn't do oh. that now. Um, no, not those cartridges yeah. either. I mean, I've thrown cartridges away when we moved house. Oh, yeah. I think, oh, goodness me. Although, ironically, if you play them online, if you play Pang or Navy Seals or Switchblade online, it's my carts. It should be my carts, because I sent them to someone and they were the first copies put online because he cracked oh, the case open and he ripped the ROMs. Because so, I have uh, the exact same story. Right. Um, for some of the Master System ones at uni, Lemmings, Sonic Spinball, a couple more of the later ones, if you've played those from a ROM, it is probably the copy that is sat behind me right now. So yeah, I guess that's the era we were in, but there were, it's hard to believe that some of these games were not dumped at the time. And yeah, I sent off 12 of them, I think, to to, to one bloke who had a, a dumper and was in the scene at the time. The Mars system is a very collectible system. It, it was very, when did I get collecting? About 2002. Mm -hmm. And just going to a boot sale and 50p a pound for a game. Yeah. Coming away with carrier bags full of stuff. <laughs> um, I don't buy anymore because it's too I got I got I think most I've ever spent is about fifteen quid. And that was just because I wanted, I think it's bubble bobble from a shop. I just kind of thought, oh, it's a shop price, I'd just pay that. But yeah, most of my games just a quid or all about that. Uh, which was it's a fun time to be collecting, but sadly those days are, are gone. Pretty much. If you're prepared to go cart only these days, you can do quite well. I did a, a little thought exercise because the Americans have been doing a lot of $100 NES challenges, what games you should buy with $100. And being a British channel, I took over and did an £100 Master System challenge. And I, I just used CEX and paid the postage to keep it very simple. And I think I still got 12, 13 games in there. And yeah, they're cart only, but it's it, it's not too bad. But like you say, it's a pretty good machine to collect for because there's only 267-ish, depending on how you define it, UK releases, which is smaller than most machines. There aren't too many horrible Holy Grails, and you can amass at least an interesting collection relatively cheap compared to a lot of other machines. And the other advantage is if you get uh, an early one, a Master System 1, the sort of chunky 80s looking one, it actually has a fully wired RGB SCART out, which is not common in consoles at the time. The output from a NES these days is horrific, but an SMS 1 actually looks really good. So as collecting consoles go, and I can say this safely, now I don't need to buy any games for it, it's actually, it's actually pretty good as things go, whereas you try and collect box NES games now and don't. Just don't. No, but I mean, I've amassed about 70 Master System games without trying, without consciously 
collecting, just mm. seeing stuff over the, I'll have that, I'll have that. I might need that for Chinivision, I'll buy that. And yes, I've got a multi-cart in my SMS one these days just for the ease of ease yeah. of it. And the Mega Drive as well is actually another one that, again, I've probably got about 50 Mega Drive titles mm. that I've amassed without really trying or spending a huge amount of money. Yeah, about the same for me, actually, and much by the same. Because I find myself in CEXs, and especially when we hit COVID and then sort of slightly unhit COVID, I started working from home at that point, and I've never stopped. So one of the things I've occasionally done is I actually wrote a thing that scanned the stock of the 10 closest CEX, because they're all an easy-ish trip. And it tells me when new things on certain machines come in. So just to get out of the house occasionally during like the late 2020 or so, I'd just drive to one I knew had something vaguely interesting to play. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, looking at the shelf now, that side, there's a Street Racer, Toy Story, Super Hang On. You know, just wait, I don't own that. That'll be worth it for six, seven, eight, ten quid. Um, so I, I did I, a lot of mine came accidentally that way. Um, and at the same time, you know, I might be in a CX because they had a Master System game I needed because I went from a, about your 70 to the 270 since the start of COVID, shall we say. And so if I, it, obviously it became increasingly rare that a CX actually had one I needed. But if I'm in there and to get one and I see a Game Boy or a Mega Drive game that's cheap enough, you buy it sight unseen. And in fact, the uh, highest rated game in this month's magazine is a Game Boy game called Popills that I bought blind in CX for four quid and then sort of forgot about until it, I spotted it in the magazine and actually dragged the cart out to play it. Yeah, that was a sight unseen purchase in Bletchley CEX. <laughs> there was a time we'd see loads of Master System stuff in shops and it's kind of a lot of the stuff's got edged out as the years mm. have gone by. Of the retro stuff, yes. I mean, except in CEX and that's the one place on a high street you'll actually find retro stuff now, really. You don't trip over stuff the same way anymore and certainly not to the degree I did. Um, you know, looking at the shelf now, like, um, championship hockey's up there on the Master System, which is an appalling attempt to convert EA's NHL 1 to the Master System. But because it was late and no one wanted it, it is literally a game you'll pay 300 quid for boxed now, if you had to have it. I still have the price tag on it from a market in Wales for a tenner from about the year 2000. So yeah, you, you just don't trip over stuff like that anymore. You are never finding a championship hockey in a retail store for any sane price you know you might you might trip over some of the cart only stuff in cx but probably not outside that occasionally in a cash converters but even there i've noticed actually over the last couple of years pushing the prices of their stuff up to the point it's not worth it even their base and nes price is now a tenner and actually a lot of that stuff if it's in a cx is cheaper but it's certainly cheaper on ebay so even if you were to trip over that in a cash converters, um, and I did buy Snake Rattle and Roll in one, but they had a lot of other games that should not have been a tenner in there. As soon as you look on eBay in the shop, because you'd probably check it, you go, but I could have this for half as much from you. <laughs> so yeah, it's shopping in shops is tricky. You occasionally get a good one, and it's often still CEX. Um, Alex Kidd in Miracle World, Master System. You would think the most common game in the universe and it sort of is because a lot of UK Master Systems had it. The entire last run of SMS1s, the entire first run of SMS2s has it built in. But there is a cart release. And it's actually really quite rare. 
And if you look on eBay, it's a frightening amount. And somehow I bought a mint one in CEX a couple of years ago for 50 quid. And actually, you can spot it because the cartridge one is supposed to have a different manual. The picture on it is different. And on eBay, if you're not careful, you'll see people selling it with the manual that came with the console built-in version. It's not interesting because it's just a different cover, but it's interesting that you catch people on eBay knowingly or unknowingly being a bit dodgy there. Whereas just through mostly sheer luck, because even getting a manual in CEX is sheer luck, mine is actually perfect. So just occasionally it can happen, but it's it's a lot rarer now, yeah. I like to have the manual, but I'm not going to worry about it too much because it just looks nice on the shelf in the box. So that's yeah. fine. But I know some people are like, I've got to have the manual. I've got to have the tab on the top. The tab on the top, it would taste the hell out of me because you can't stack them um, and yeah. all that stuff. Some people are very much perfection. And I, I set rules when I decided that I might as well go for the set. Uh, I was happy to accept cart only. And what I've done with those is I've got the inlay, printed the inlay while leaving a clue somewhere that it's a repro if it ever escapes me, and bought a bunch of boxes from AliExpress because you can get near identical boxes. So some of my complete collection are in reality just a cart, but I saw it as I have all the games. A box is just a box, kind of. But absolutely, the collector's collector is looking for the best copy possible of these games. And I, I can respect that, but I'm I'm collecting games. If you see what I mean. <laughs> no, I, I had a copy of R-Type that yeah. um, looked fine on eBay. And then when I got it, some kid had scrawled all over the back of it. <laughs> so I ended up having to print out my own cover for it on my laser printer. It, it looks convincing from a distance, but it's not going to pass muster. Mm. But inside that, there is the original in yeah. there with the... Um, it's not as bad as my copy of Barbarian with the uh, what I thought was a mint poster. But uh, let's just say... Uh, Oh, no. Wolf has a biro appendage <laughs> drawn on him. Oh, that was better than where my brain went to, I promise you. <laughs> there are many things that could happen to a poster of that particular cover, and that's that's not. <laughs> I don't think my R-type's too bad, but I'm not sure I've got a manual. I'm just trying to see it from across the room. The spine looks okay. <laughs> but I've got a few, I've got plenty that aren't. My copies of Clax and Masters of Combat are fairly seriously sun-bleached, but again cart's fine do mm. you store them all in order or is there any so system? again this is where the master system gets preferential treatment because it turns out that if you add a few homebrews and stuff because i've got a few of the later people have released games for they're in alphabetical order and they literally just fit on one billy if you pile it to the ceiling above the billy <laughs> i've got a couple of games that were unreleased that i used a knockoff aliexpress flashcard cart and made my own copy of so if you were to look at the shelf you'd see lemmings 2 and hook those never existed commercially but i threw together inlays for them because it's easy enough to do using artwork from other versions put a, a flash cart in there because it boots to the to the game and i sort of have those unreleased games but that just means there's probably 300 master system games on that bookshelf and we are literally at capacity now um, but the other machines are just uh, basically all share another one of those and they're, they're piles. They're not in order. Whichever one I played last is on the top. So where can people find Yesterzine? 
If you want to social media, you will find me on Mastodon. It's yesterzine at topspicy.social. You will find an account on Twitter at yesterzine, but that is essentially browsed via notifications these days, thanks Elon, and used to advertise videos. And the channel is at yesterzine on YouTube, and thankfully it's an obscure enough game that if you search yesterzine on YouTube, you will find it instantly. Brilliant. Thanks for joining me this evening. No problem, Jim.